I'd like to welcome all of our listeners to another episode of the London Lyceum. I'm one of your hosts, Jordan Stefaniak. And I'm your other host, Brandon Askew. And this is our now monthly episode, The Hanover House, where we discuss previous episodes with two other brothers, uh, one down in Mississippi, one in Michigan. And we just kind of talk about different things that stood out to us and how to press it in uh, to the local church a little bit more. As you know, some of our episodes are more intellectually stimulating and not as much on the ground, boots on the ground. Okay, I'm a pastor. How do I actually apply this? Or I'm a local church member. What does this mean for me? So this episode is designed to press into that a little bit more. And some of it's just, you know, just having fun, chummy conversations with our friends. So before we get into this, uh, I want to mention to everybody that we've got a really cool new thing that I spent a lot of time working on, and that's the, the new podcast website. If you go to www.thelondonlyceum.com, you'll find us there. Uh, we've got everything from, you know, you got your cool podcast little player. You click play, you can listen there if you really want to. And it's got uh, other features like we've introduced the London Lyceum Ledger. You know, in true Baptist fashion, I came up with a third L. And that's just the fancy name for our blog. And I don't think me or Brandon plan on like posting a bunch on there. So what we've done is uh, we're opening up to anybody and anyone who wants to write stuff for it. So if you want to have something posted on there, uh, we've got several editors and we'll review it and see if it makes sense for the, for the podcast website. And if it does, uh, we'll get that posted on there for you and share hopefully really good content. I think it'll be a lot of fun. It could be really useful. I'm excited to see how it turns out. I have no idea how it's going to turn out. I just kind of started making a website for fun and then kind of stumbled into some other things and uh, made some podcast swag uh, because why not? It's fun. I like to have a cool mug or a cool shirt and rep it. And I'm pleasantly surprised by the quality. So, uh, you know, I'm just creating all this stuff on these like websites uh, that link up with the website and it's actually turned out really nice. So I'm excited. I think it's kind of fun. So go check out the website, see what you think. Um, You can find like upcoming episodes on there. You can find a little fun bio about me and Brandon because, you know, I know that's what you guys all want to know. And yeah, I don't know what else is on. I mean, you can contact us on there, that kind of stuff basic resources, even though we already do the monthly episode of resources. All right. I'm done talking about the website. Go check it out. I think it's cool. Now for this episode, I think we wanted to talk about Spurgeon and social activism and justice overall. Um, Not in a way that is divisive, but in a way that it's hopefully encouraging to local church pastors, no matter uh, what you think about justice or social activism. So at least from my perspective, I think we could all use a lot more retrieval when it comes to this issue uh, instead of just staying in our own social media bubbles. Uh, thinking about how great men, women, I guess, of the past have really helped us think about this issue. So why don't we kick it off with the Spurgeon episode uh, with Alex, which I think was awesome. Were there any areas that really... Um, surprised you or maybe confused you or challenged you? Um, I don't know who wants to start. I'll I'll let Jake start, I guess, since, uh, you know, you tweeted about how much you enjoyed the episode. So I imagine there was something in there that really piqued your interest or curiosity. And we can kind of go from there. Well, I think the thing that would first stand out to me, and this is going to kind of sound maybe sentimental in some ways, but 
I, I really was struck in the story that he shared about Spurgeon going to the bedside of the dying uh, orphan and the, the remark that Spurgeon's friend made about, you know, he had seen Spurgeon preach and have the attention of thousands of people. Um, but in that moment, it really, how Spurgeon ministered to a young boy dying. Um, I think that what it, what really stood out to me about that is that all these issues of social activism, justice, and all of that, I feel like right now, a lot of people, in, and we'll use this term broadly, I don't know what other term to use, but evangelical circles, uh, we're looking for the, the answers of solving all of these problems. Many times I fear beginning in the wrong place. We don't begin with the gospel. Uh, Alex made the emphasis that Spurgeon's great critique would be is we're, we're not really caring for men's souls. Yeah. And we are to meet physical needs, but there's not much going to benefit going to be there if we're just meeting people's temporal needs and helping them be comfortable on their way to hell. Um, so I, that really, Spurgeon had a fervent desire to see men changed and regenerated. And then I would add, and, and we'll give the plug here to the Baptist roots, Spurgeon saw all of these things in connection with the local church mm -hmm. and churches working together. And so all of that really flows out of, you know, Spurgeon's commitment to historic Baptist polity. And Alex hit on that a lot. So, so Spurgeon's pastoral heart is seen there at the, the bedside, but then the way that he's engaged in all of these membership interviews. And, and I think that we would do well in retrieving from men like Spurgeon, and not just him, but uh, contrary to what some people might say in pontificating on the canceling of everybody in church history these days. Um, Someone's not the particular better. <laughs> uh, the particular Baptist tradition is filled with a lot of men in churches who never wavered from their commitment to orthodoxy or the gospel, and yet they saw all those things as connected, for example, in seeking to end the slave trade in Britain, caring about the less fortunate. I think one reason was because most Baptist churches were made up of working class and lower class people who were having to survive on a day-to-day -day basis. But, but all of that is what we need to come back to, is you don't have to minimize the gospel and doctrine. And you don't need to go away from seeing these things in your neighborhood. You know, I think, and we're all guilty of this, but it's a lot easier for us to sit and muse about what we can do, what's all the problems in the world and change them and not really care at all about what's happening down the road, because that requires actually getting in the trenches and that's going to be messier and harder than just, you know, coming up with our own ideas in an abstract way. And I see that a lot. I see a lot of generic abstract things that are said that make us feel better, but they don't do anything. And Spurgeon, you said Spurgeon was about boots on the ground. That's what the Metropolitan Tabernacle did as a church. And that's what Baptist churches historically did. So we need to retrieve that. And, it, and it's built around a pastoral heart and with the church and churches working together at the forefront. We need that. And I think that's missing in a lot of the conversations right now because, 
in this last thing, because people say, well, that's just you saying, just preach the gospel. And I do get that that can be a easy cliche to throw out there. But if we're not preaching the gospel, then what are we doing? If the gospel is not motivating what we're about, then we've missed the main thrust and the big picture of what God's called us to do as his people. Yeah, that's good. I think the the emphasis on the local aspect uh, was definitely something that stuck out to me and something that I think we could all take away, uh, spend less time um, caring about other me- other churches' flocks and caring about our own and caring about our own local context, uh, seeing the challenges and issues that actually happen in my own city, uh, rather than being like, well, you know, 700 miles away, all this discord and problems going on. They're not saying that that's not important, but I think the priority uh, and the supremacy should be in your own local context. And if we were actually caring and focusing on that more, and I mean, I'm guilty of this myself, uh, then I think we'd be a lot less concerned with and a lot less, I guess, you know, angry and frustrated if we actually just dug our boots on the ground, dug our shovel on the ground. You don't dig boots in the ground and really started working in our own local context to, to serve people. So Brandon, I'll kick it over to you to, to comment on anything you found uh, interesting. Um, well, Connor, I just want to tell you that the story about Spurgeon at the boys' bedside is probably in the half of the episode that you didn't listen to since you've come here utterly wow. unprepared. But um, shots fired. <laughs> that was an amazing story, uh, and one that I hadn't heard before, and that was uh, great. I, I did enjoy that part. But yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think I have anything really that Jake hasn't already said. Um, I, I do think the the emphasis on um, local work really matter. And that's not, you know, just preach the gospel. I mean, yeah. that's, you know, local mercy ministries. That's things that are going on in your town. Like, you know, we, I, I do think that's one of the biggest problems right now is that everything has become so, um, so abstract. And there are these high level discussions about, you know, policies and these, these buzzwords that we throw out that, you know, about justice and, and, and I, those conversations matter, but, you know, like Jake said, the boots on the ground and the work that's actually getting done, um, you know, in the trenches, that matters a great deal as well. Um, so if we're not participating in that, then, you know, I don't know that we're really fulfilling our calling as being a, a light in our, in our cities. Um, and so that's something that I've, um, really been thinking a lot about with with our local church is you know what what more can we do um to be a light in our town um obviously we want to be a place where people can come every sunday and they're going to hear the gospel um and the the message of salvation is going to be proclaimed without um any hesitation but we also do want to serve our community in physical and tangible ways and we want to care about things that um the people around here care about so um I, i do think there is an, an overemphasis on on big high level discussions and um, you know political messages and things like that, whether it be on the right or the left, and and there's far too little focus on getting your hands dirty yourselves. So um, that's probably an area that I can improve on myself. And um, uh, something that stood out to me yesterday, just I mean, sixty six ministries that Spurgeon. Yeah you know, had his, had his hands in. I mean, it's just truly amazing to think 
all that was accomplished through that church during his ministry. And, and who doesn't love Spurgeon? I mean, you got the right and the left who both like him. So, I mean, you, you, what are you supposed to do? Say, no, that was a bad thing that he did? And Todd um, White. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Covered all our bases yeah, that there. pretty much covers everybody. Uh, so why don't why don't I throw this out? James one twenty seven says this religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. I mean, are our churches actively prioritizing visiting of orphans and widows in their affliction? Uh, is it literally? Is this verse literally just about widows and orphans and not about anybody else? Uh, what what do you what do you got think here? And does Spurgeon's example speak to this in any way? I think with that particular text, yeah, sure, absolutely, care for widows and orphans. But the principle of that is to seek out ways to um, show your community mercy. You know, we call that mercy ministries in so many places, but. Um, it's like, it doesn't stop at, okay, I obeyed this verse because I take care of orphans and widows. You, you, you carry that over into to anything else. It, the, and I like what we're talking about, the local aspect of this. The church identifies where there are um, even physical needs in their community, even issues of injustice that need to be um, spoken to. It, it, that doesn't mean we have all of the answers um and how they play out legally in the community and whatnot. But at the very least, we ought to be um, in love calling out where things are wrong, where things are not right. Um, You know, I know it's been mentioned, but, you know, I'll just kind of add to what Jake was saying earlier. All of this debate and all of these discussions and postulating about different things, it's it's all theory. It's all theory, and it doesn't become real until... Um, we do put our boots on the ground. And, you know, I, I think it's, you know, one of the things that we'll see here in the next few months or month and a half or so, however many days we are until the election is your way or your opportunity to show your, uh, your obedience to, to justice or whatever, or carrying that out is who you vote for. And, you know, I, as, as a pastor, I always have to caution from associating myself with any one or one candidate or one party or one political movement. Um, but I, I don't, I think that's important to be thoughtful in how and where you vote, but it, it seems in the dialogue that I'm seeing, it's like, this is either, this is a question of whether you're a Christian or not. And on either side, that message is coming and to, to, to equate, <laughs> being faithful and seeking justice as a Christian in political ties seems a stretch to me. I don't know how you guys feel about it, but we should not draw lines in the sand by saying I have more um, virtue or I have a higher Christian morality because I'm on this side of this issue or that side of that issue. Now, some things are very, very clear, uh, but again, it's, it's not as if um, we have to pr- provide um you know, a a line by line, dot by dot explanation of of how justice is played out in the community. I mean, that that kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier. Um, Brandon's internet totally threw me off of of how I was 
of organizing my thoughts, but, but you get what I'm saying. It's, it's um, these issues of justice are becoming almost like litmus tests. And if you're not on this side, then um, you're not as faithful and, and whatnot. So. Yeah. So I've got a couple thoughts and they'll be, dis- they'll be entangled a little bit. Number one, I mean, I don't want us to, or people who are listening to think that we don't care about theory just because we value True. actual action in, in your own True. community doesn't mean we discount theory. I mean, listen to the rest of our episodes. They're highly theoretical. So obviously we value that. Number two, the, the political thing, I, I, I find it interesting that it seems that both sides of the aisle find the other side as uh, anathema. Mm. So it's just really polarized. So everybody's like, well, you can't vote the other person because you're clearly not a Christian if you do that. And then to, to, I mean, Spurgeon in that episode, Alex was talking about Spurgeon was willing to talk about politics. And he was like, openly, like, I vote liberal and I'm happy to encourage others to do that. I found that really interesting Um, and a little bit surprising, to be honest with you. So I, I... didn't in my head view Spurgeon as someone who would be that willing to talk politics. And I, I, I just don't know, maybe in his own context, it's not as polarizing it is now. So I imagine, you know, if we transport Spurgeon uh, to today, is he going to tell you vote liberal or conservative and be like wide open about that in, in public? I don't know if he would do that. So maybe it's a little anachronistic to, to assume that we can apply his own actions to today. But it seems like today in in today's political climate, it's a lot better to speak to issues and to, to not speak to, to like, here's who you should vote for. I don't know. Maybe you guys disagree. No. Well, I'm trying to think about, I, I don't know. I, I, I was struck by that, but I'm wondering how much of that was Spurgeon did Spurgeon speak on those things from the pulpit? Because there's a famous quote yeah, of yeah. his where he says, and I can't remember exactly, but he says, I challenge you to go through all of my sermons and find, you know, more than 18 sentences or something like that about politics, where he mm-hmm. goes into that actually preaching. So I wonder if more of that might have been personal interactions, yeah, the sort yeah, of yeah. the trowel, um, rather than from him preaching. Michael Hakem posted something interesting on Facebook yesterday, and I think this sometimes gets lost by a lot of us, too, is that Spurgeon would have been one of the or a part of the first generation or so of dissenters. So any Protestant uh, who was not a part of the Church of England establishment who would have had the right to vote. Um, You know, all of our heroes, men like, you know, Andrew Fuller, William Carey, John Gill. They didn't have that right. So they were operating. And that's why one of the best sermons that I see on this subject, you can just Google Andrew Fuller Christian Patriotism, which is a sermon he preaches. Um, you know, and he makes some statements, for example, about regardless of which party is in power in Britain, you should be respectful to the leaders and pray for them and so forth. But it's fascinating to see how they he's saying all that. And he didn't even have really much of a, a, a real voice where he could even contribute to what was happening in the civic society from that standpoint of voting. And and I think that we have allowed our American context of being so consumed with politics and politics has always been entertainment, but it has become even more so uh, now. I mean, it's a reality TV show. 
um, regardless of what a person's view is on the president, I mean, I think all of us can agree. I mean, he makes a lot of news every day. Um, you know, there's not one news story that lasts for one week. There's a news story that lasts for 30 minutes. And that's where we've become now is just we're, we're so consumed with that. Um, and again, I think that the best way, if your church, if in back to the local church, if a local church is, is, is all the same, everybody thinks the same in that church on everything. You, you may need to examine some hmm. things yeah. because something's happened. Now, when it comes to biblical truth and doctrine, all that, yes, we've, we, we've got to be on the same page. You know, that's what confessions of faith are for. But in a lot of other things, there really needs to be some diversity because that brings out what is so beautiful about the local church is that you can have a diversity of opinions on things. And yet we are all together because it's Christ who is the center, not our philosophy of the day. But I do think it's hard not to be, you know, it's very hard for us. It's hard for us not to talk about political things. I mean, it really is. But I think that's where we, as especially as pastors, we've got to use good, mature balance in how we talk about those things. Because we've got to remember that we, to separate our personal views, I would say, from the diversity that may exist in our congregation. And never make yeah. somebody feel less if there's a disagreement between us on those kinds of subjects. Yeah, I mean, I want to be bullish on the liberty of conscience. I mean, that's, yeah. that's a major Baptist distinctive. I mean, you go to the Second London Confession. I don't know what section this is in. Uh, chapter 21. 21. Two, I mean, God alone is Lord of the conscience. And to bind other people's consciences on things that are not explicitly laid out in Scripture or necessarily mm-hmm. de- deduced uh, is to violate, I think, uh, the liberty of conscience, which I think is absolutely central, crucial to our own identity as Baptists. And... Um, I don't think anyone really denies, except for maybe the crazy theonomists out there, <laughs> the liberty of conscience. I don't know. Yeah, it's very. I mean, it's very strange when I hear people say. Um, I mean, for example, so let's go ahead and let's go into this uh, controversial waters here. I mean, as a Baptist, I do not want the I do not want the United States government to officially adopt Christianity as the state religion. Yeah. I don't want that. Now, there is a very prominent person who said that, um, you know, this week, uh, you know, on a cable TV show who had come from a Baptistic, you know, persuasion. And you I got, saw you, got, you got to name calling. names, man. I don't, I don't watch the news. What happened? I, I, <laughs> well, you just, um, I, you mean, I'll go off the record again if you want me to. Come um, on, man. <laughs> well, all right. So, so let's go ahead and invite the hate. Um, I mean, Dr. MacArthur was on the Laura Ingram program uh, earlier this week, and, and some of the statements he was making, I mean, it sounds like what a theonomist would say, not a Baptist. Mm-hmm. And, well, look, I have is, a lot of respect. No. Well, he, he's from a, no, the Grace Community Church is not a Baptist church. Yeah. Um, but he would be, describe himself as Baptistic. His father was a, a Baptist minister. I think MacArthur would have probably been ordained in a Baptist church, actually. Um, possibly, but, um, that, that's, a, that's not Baptist. That's not consistent with Baptist identity. You know, we've never believed in a church. 
church having uh, the state having an official religion. Number one, that's why Rhode Island was set up the way that it was. Um, it was for anybody who came as long as they were not violent. Uh, number two, um, all the Baptists in Massachusetts were fighting for their rights and in Virginia as colonies and states, and as he even spoke about Spurgeon. I mean, think about how long has, how much time had went and Spurgeon was still an ardent dissenter. He wanted to see the state church gone. Um, that's where we've always been. And again, when you don't know your heritage and you don't know real Baptist distinctives, and you're just a Baptist because Mama was, and that's what seems to be the popular thing in town, you know, then you start saying a lot of contradictory things. And so I, we'll go ahead and people can be upset. And I don't mean this to be rude, but you cannot be a Baptist and a theonomist. That doesn't work. In fact, if we could go back and bring everybody back that signed the 1689, they would they would be saying the same thing. And from the 1700s and the 1800s. Spurgeon okay, so, was not fighting to create a Baptist state. What would, what would Mama think about yeah. that? I'm 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 worried so, about I'm, I'm really well, concerned actually, about what well, Mama actually, wants to wants to say about this. No, I, I want to ask this. So, I I agree. Theonomy is not the way to go. But what do we do with with moral issues? Are are, are you saying Baptists can't say I want to legislate morality, or or is that is that a separate issue from what you're? What you're well, you saying? Have you, to legislate morality, you t- like you, that's an impossibility. Like, are you just not going to have legislation? I mean, right? No, I agree. So, I guess the question is, uh, if we, you know, John MacArthur, what, what? I didn't watch Laura Ingram show, so I have no idea. <laughs> no, what he said. you didn't. <laughs> I don't watch the news. Um, well, it wasn't news. Somewhere. It's more commentary. But yeah, 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 yeah. I know that's right. I should be care- more careful with how I use that term, news. Um, but I didn't watch it, so I don't know exactly what he said. That said, I, I get not wanting to legislate like a state church, um, but is he? It seems like he would be more if you pressed him and said, "Well, what do you mean by that?" No, I don't want to legislate a state church. I just want to legislate uh, Christian virtue uh, because I think that's the way uh, society flourishes. That's the way you know people are going to be most healthy and, and all those things. So that that would naturally say, "Well, I just looked through the Ten Commandments, the Decalogue, and then I." can expand from that to legislate uh, these particular things are right. These particular things are wrong. And, and you leave it at that. Is, is that not what he would be pushing for? I think he's talking. Well, to I don't want this to be. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't want this to become a John MacArthur thing, but yeah, I, I would no, just yeah. say, I mean, yes and no, based on some of his recent comments. I, yeah. I think again, though, that this is all right. For all of us, words matter, and we do need to make sure that we use good language to what we communicate. And here's the Baptist view. The Baptist view has always been, based upon the New Testament model, we do not believe a civic government is to enforce the first table of the Decalogue. Yes, agree. We don't want the state enforcing what it means, you shall not worship other gods besides me. We do believe in the state enforcing the second table. Of the Decalogue. And so as citizens, I think it depends, first of all, what's your context. We're blessed that we do have an ability to try to speak to the society, and we do have an opportunity to exercise votes 
But again, though, I think this is where consistency becomes our friend. And I fear that in recent years, a lot of evangelicals have tossed aside consistency and how we explain things over what is the short term pragmatic answer, a.k.a. we need I'm not voting for a pastor. I'm voting for a president, you know, and and you go down a very tricky road over time. So I think we have an ability to speak out on these issues. Mm -hmm. I think even have an ability to, to write congressmen, to write to senators, to encourage them if there's a piece of legislation that we think is good and is morally wholesome and virtuous. I think all of those things are, are fine. I think, though, that we have to be very on guard that it doesn't consume us. Because politics sure. is one of those things that can consume us very quickly. In fact, right now, we're seeing it on display where so many people, left or right, this is all they talk about. I mean, every day, all day is what's woke and what's not. And that's all that we hear. And I, I just think that that's a very dangerous place to be. So as Baptists, we, we want to be good citizens. Here's something interesting. William Kiffin, major person in the 17th century. I think he's one of the, the shrewdest Baptists who's ever lived. Because no matter who came into power, he made sure that he let them know up front. that He was praying for them. He respected their office and who they were, and that as a whole, Baptists weren't trying to overthrow them. So he did that with Cromwell. He did it with Charles II. He did it with James II. He did it with William and Mary. Now, some people would probably say he was a squishy moderate for doing that, Um, but he was actually being a good steward and trying to recognize this is who God has put in power. We want to respect them and pray for them and submit to them as we can. And then he would add, though, but when it comes, to our worship, and as churches, we'd rather obey God than men. And he didn't do that in a pugnacious, bullying way, in a straightforward, kind way. Um, it probably also helped that he was a multi-millionaire of his day, too, um, and was able to use his resources to help Baptists. But I think that's, and it goes back to Fuller. You know, if Joe Biden gets elected president in November, all right? Well, what do we do? As somebody who would be conservative in his political philosophy, obviously he and I don't see eye to eye probably on anything. But I still have a duty to pray for him, to lift him up in prayer, and to respect him. Even though I don't like him or or agree with him, I'm still to respect him because of the office that he holds. And I think we've totally, we we, we lose that. It's easy for us to respect the guy when he's on our team. Yep. And if he's not, then he becomes a pinata and we can, you know, mock him and make fun of him all that we want to. And by the way, you know, the world's watching us. World yep. watches us. And no. it goes back to that. I might have the right to do something, but is it profitable and is it good? So I, I want to comment on the first Timothy two command to, you know, pray for those who are in authority over us. I think that's an easy, practical, I mean, we should all agree that we should be praying for our leaders in authority. And I think we should pray for them by name. Um, I remember in 2016, when Donald Trump was elected president, for whatever reason, it was my turn to give the like uh, pastoral prayer at church. 
And, you know, I prayed for uh, former President Barack Obama by name, and I prayed for the new president, incumbent president, uh, Donald Trump by name. And I remember people were like upset by the fact that I commented on people's names. And I don't know if it was because I mentioned uh, Barack and prayed for him positively or not, but I think that's, I mean, that's a, a clear, explicit command. Churches should be regularly par- praying for their leaders, whether you agree with them for, or not. Um, praying, praying for them to, I think, become Christians most of the time uh, and praying for them to enact wise, just, uh, and, and virtuous laws, because at least for me, the primary mission of the church is to make disciples. But in making disciples, you are also learning to obey all of the commands that the Lord has given us and grow in virtue. So I do think part of the church's mission is to cultivate virtue. Now, that doesn't mean that they create, you know, political parties or, or you know, they go campaigning on the trail. Uh, that's not, I don't think, required by cultivating virtue and disciples. But I do think we should care and be interested in, um, I mean, agreeing with and pushing for laws that are just and are true. I mean, I, I look back at the Second London again, and, you know, it's talking about the civil magistrate is there to maintain justice and peace. I mean, and I think while the church isn't designed to protect justice, the civil magistrate's job is that. I do think as Christians, uh, we should um, desire justice. And I, I some of this is just difference in how governmental structure functions. I mean, none of our, you know, forefathers in the past before America became in existence really had, I think, this form of government. So it's unique. We're wrestling with questions anew and afresh. I mean, it seems a lot easier if you live in a state-run church environment just to say, well, civil magistrate does this, I do this. I don't have to think about social matters to a large extent. I don't think I have to Think, have to think about legislating justice, all those things. I care for the poor and the needy around me, and, that, and that's the end of the story. But it becomes different and more difficult and more complex when I, when everybody is part of the political process. Now, I have to go vote, and I have to make decisions on these things, and I have to think how much of a duty is there for me as an individual Christian and as a church to see that justice is enacted. And I guess everybody agrees, yes, we want justice. I mean, John MacArthur saying, yes, we want to legislate Christianity, uh, all that. Uh, And then you've got this other side who's saying, well, yeah, but your version of justice, I guess, is not justice. We see injustice all over the place. You know, it's systemic or whatever. And so maybe the question is just at that lower level of, okay, practically give me an example one, two, and three of this injustice, and we'll consider if we need to to really change that. I, I don't know. I'm rambling and trying to think through this because, you know, as important as this discussion is, I, I, I personally don't know what to think totally. Maybe you guys have a better understanding of how we as Christians should be thinking about social activism and justice. I know for a fact, I guess, I, I need to care for orphans and widows, people who are in need, um, clear violations of justice. I think as a Christian, I should care about that. I should seek that. I should seek the good uh, of them. But I, I don't know to what extent my responsibility is there. Um, I don't think I should be giving 40 hours a week to campaigning for particular injustices. 
but I, I don't think me going on my Twitter or my Facebook and, and saying, I'm, Hey guys, I'm, you know, no longer subscribing to Netflix is really uh, all that virtuous. Um, it's not like a really big activism for me, you know, posting something on my social media. So I don't know what you guys think. I, I don't really know what to think about a lot of this stuff and how to understand it and how to work through it. I'll, I'll confess that. And I know there's probably a lot of our listeners who are, you know, making fun of me and like, well, I've got it all understood. You know, Jordan's an idiot. Um, th- that's fine. You can, you can think I'm stupid and you can think you're really smart. I don't think that's most of our listeners. I think most of our listeners are cool, but I think there are a segment that um, probably think I'm dumb and that's fine. So I'll let you guys talk. You can pick whatever you want out of that. I kind of want to talk to you about the next Netflix thing. Uh, I mean, because that is a justice issue, I guess, I, right? I, I just have a different take. I don't necessarily want to talk about it, but I, I think there should be room for someone like me, who's a dad of three young girls, to to see um, just the <laughs> the lack of morality there. The the I would even suggest the um, not just a lack of morality, but a presence of abuse, the presence of of evil that is behind uh, the, the, just the very motive of that, uh, what some people are calling art. Um, <laughs> well, it's, you know, movies are a form of whatever. That's, that's yeah. I, 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 you know, I'm not going to go to cuties. I'm not going to do it. Um, but, but I will say uh, maybe on a pastoral note, just to remind, I feel like, wherever we go, we turn on Twitter, we turn on cable news or cable commentary. Um, we are being told who our enemy is. It's the other side. Yep. It's, it's those who disagree with you, even on things that don't, even on things that are not matters of most importance that you're, you're vilified. Those are your enemies. And, and you have to, you have to choose a side. Well, we have to remember we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, right? We're, we are, um, we wrestle against the spiritual forces of evil, the cosmic powers against authorities, et cetera, et cetera, Ephesians, Ephesians 6. Um, and I think it's it's really key for Christians, um, not just Baptists, uh, is for everybody to remember who the real enemy is. And yeah. I really I appreciate what you, what you both said. Uh, Jordan and Jake about praying for our leaders, regardless of what side of the aisle they sit on. Uh, Because I I think (laughs) that is how we go on the offensive or how we go on the defensive um, in, in our culture, in our um, local communities. I mean, that's, we have to remember um, who we're really up against and and the nature of this um, conflict that we are ever ever engaged in. Um, so I guess that's what I would say about when we're, when we're putting names with associations, when we're putting names, people we know, or people in the public spotlight with specific movements, um, it's very, very easy for us to vilify those people and, and just want to say, get rid of them. And, and maybe in, in, in the Lord's providence, they will be removed from whatever position they hold and their policies will be eradicated, whatever. Um, but, but I think it's, it's good to have that reminder pastorally that 
behind all of these schemes, behind all of these movements is, is um, at least the, the ungodly ones, the godless ones is, is our enemy. Um, so I, don't, like, yeah, I, I think good. that, that yeah, might sound think... like a Jesus juke to, to the whole topic, but um, I think it, I think for a believer in these crazy times, um, and maybe we'll say that until, you know, till the end, but it, it really grounds me. It really helps me rest and settle and, and not be panicked when I um, observe what's going on. So to your comment that a lot of people, I guess, spend so much time on what they're against and not realizing who the real enemy is, it does seem if we spent more time on the positive commands that we have been given, um, for you three, shepherding your own flocks, um, for me, you know, just serving my own local church in the way I can, and then loving our community and figuring out ways to, to serve them, we'd have a lot less time uh, to, to figure out why other people are, are stupid and wrong, and a lot more time to actually be fulfilling the commands that, that God has given us uh, in our own context. So all that to say, Brandon, I want to hear some of your thoughts on this, because you're smarter on a lot of this stuff than I am. You haven't really been talking, so I think people want to hear what what, what you got to say. Um, yeah, I mean, not not to not to beat a dead horse here, but uh, for me, I guess my my advice is is to to turn the stuff off, like just mm-hmm. just just tune it out. Um, yeah, we don't need to rehash the whole thing about me leaving social media and all that, but I mean. I know I feel a lot better every day, not, not having to think through what, you know, political argument I'm supposed to be involved in today. And, you know, what group I'm supposed to be hating because they see differently than I do on this issue or that issue. It's just, it really has given me more time, um, to actually do what we were talking about earlier. You know, I, I'm able to do more, um, myself to to serve the community and i'm not saying that to pat myself on the back or anything like that but i mean it just it's just the fact of the matter like um i'm not as consumed with the the theory and the 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 big questions even though they do matter um and that's something we should think about I, i i've just found that um, I've had more time to actually focus on those positive commands we're given in scripture. Um, so I don't, I don't really have anything original to add. Like I, I feel like, you know, I, I, I had gotten to a point there where I was reasonably informed on all of this. And, you know, I've, I felt like I had a pretty good grip on who believed what and why, and why I thought certain positions were wrong and everything else. But you know, um, this is a much, much, uh, much better way to go about life. I think so. I don't know. Yeah. No, I, I think that's fair. I mean, I know it's a boring answer, but I mean, <laughs> I just, yeah. I mean, it's it's better. Um, so I guess you know the, the two hot topics that seem to be most you know in the news would be uh, number one, racial injustice. Um, whatever that means. I mean, obviously 99% of that debate to me is you got to define your terms before we can actually talk about anything because everybody has Mm -hmm. very different understandings of what it means to have 
injustice based on race. And then the second thing that honestly, at least for me is a far more, uh, real issue in my, in our local churches that I've been a part of is the sex abuse stuff. Um, churches I've been in are, you know, right for opportunity for this to happen. And it, and it's constantly happened. I, I mean, I think the statistics bear this out that sex abuse is just all over. I mean, that Houston Chronicle thing that came out all the, on those SBC churches. I mean, that's the context we're all in. Um, that is a bigger issue in my mind than one or two instances of police brutality as bad as that is. Um, so I, you know, I obviously want to say that's, that's absolutely wrong and unacceptable. If there is police brutality, you know, I, I want to condemn that or whatever, but we just got like, you know, hundreds of examples of churches covering up sex abuse. I mean, that's, that's a local church. That's not my civic government doing that. I feel like I have a way greater responsibility to root out problems in the church that are currently happening. Um, so I don't know what you guys think about that. Cause I mean, practically I think most churches, well, I guess I would say kill the kids ministry and that'll solve 95% of the problems. But I know a lot of churches aren't going to do that. Um, so if they're not going to do that, you need to have a legitimate, robust child protection policy in place. And if you don't have that and you're not following that, um, you're just giving yourself to, to letting children be abused. I, I, I think. I, I would add that you shouldn't give your money to entities that promote um, or even produce, um, produce or promote the, the sexualization of children. So that's why I deleted Netflix. <laughs> I, I mean, there. you bring I up child, uh, child protection policies and um, mitigating and getting rid of, of abuse. And I mean, th- there's a reason that cuties is, is they, they use child children actors for, for these things, but the rating is mature. I yeah. come like it, it is to, I'm, and look, I'm, I'm probably, maybe I sound like a curmudgeon on this, but just take it with a grain of salt. I have three young girls, uh, for the listeners. It, how is this not grooming? It, no, it is. I'm transferring it over to the church, you know? Okay. It, okay. We see, we hear these stories all the time and we can see signs of this grooming going on in, in the younger ages. And, you know, I, maybe I already forgot your, que- your direct question, but um, I think if we're going to be consistent in our issues of justice, we have to clean our own house first. Uh, and I think that's yep. kind of what you were getting at. And um, yeah, I think first Peter tells yeah. us that, you know, judgment begins with the household of God. So I think, you know, we should obviously have an eye to our ourselves, the, the whole speck and log thing, <laughs> you know, not that the government has a speck in their eye um, only, and we have a log, but I mean, I think we both got some logs. Um, and, and to the Netflix thing, just to be honest with you, I have no idea who's supporting that. That's a Christian. Like, I know there's been a lot of, like, I've seen people been like, no one's talking about this. And I'm like, who is yeah. supporting it? 
I, everybody has, you know, like seriously, if a Christian supported that, like what? I, I would be flabbergasted. And well, I think you know, their response would be the same response that we're hearing about sex abuse in the church is that it's, it's not that you're supporting is that you're, you're complicit in your, in your silence. So, um, but just throwing my, that two cents in there. Now I'm, I'm, I'm done. Man, the complicity by silence piece is just stupid. Uh, I think in in many cases, in many cases it is. In, in in a scenario where no one's talking, he's always silent. But I I know, I know he has an opinion. That was tongue in cheek. No, but he's complicit in all the problems of the That's world. Right. <laughs> well, a federal headship of Adam, we all are, right? Yeah, let's. let's... Yeah. Oh, <laughs> well, I, I think you know to to go back to the episode discussion with Spurgeon, and you, I think you asked, you're one of y'all asked, what would what would he he be um, concerned about the most today? And yeah. one of the statements was the worldliness. And I think all of us need to examine and ask ourselves, I mean, how worldly are we at times with with whatever we might read or or watch, things that we might just say are harmless, but really it's it's junk. I mean, it really is. And, um, you know, it's easy for us. And look, I I get it. It's easy to go down a legalistic trail. I, I get that. But I, I do think I think there's sometimes there is a little bit of some truth behind the reason why for somebody like Spurgeon, for example, in his day, he said, you don't need to go to the theater. Um, now, you might think that that was overly, you know, legalistic in one sense. But we need to ask ourselves, all of us, can we be entertained by things that really if we just stop and ask some questions, we would say, you know what, that's it really is ungodly. I mean, it really isn't anything that's spiritually beneficial. Um, so I think, you know, worldliness, and, and it goes back to a little book in, from Reformation Heritage Publishing, uh, Watchfulness. We need to be watchful. And um, I, I think that we can, it's easy just to kind of go into a rhythm of going with the flow of what's happening in the culture, and we don't even realize it at times of just how destructive. I mean, let's let's be honest. What does it say that in a, in a culture and society that there were individuals who thought that program on Netflix would be acceptable, that it was something that could be produced to the public and be entertaining? Um, yeah. I mean, I'm not here to bash, you know, bash America and do all that in one sense, but it, it does need to be asked that, that that speaks to a larger. We have a serious problem We're we're we are as a society very, very sick. Um mm-hmm. And so what do we do? Going back with the spirit, what do we do? What does the church do? That is why we must uphold Christ and, and, and the gospel and how that changes who we are and how we minister and serve people. And you're right. You know, I, I, I don't think that is an extreme statement to say remove the, the kids ministry. Or I, I think a lot of the stuff that goes on in churches, what we have done in programs and so forth. I think there's a lot of excess fat that needs to be trimmed and removed. Um, that overall, if we ask ourselves, has the, have these things really made us more spiritually healthy or not? I think that's some hard questions that, that church need to ask. I, I, mean, think it, I don't think it has in a lot of ways. I, I, I get it with the kids stuff. I mean, it's hard to have your kids in the service, but 
I think that's the model of the New Testament. And there's all sorts of benefits to it. If you believe the means of grace are a legit thing um, and being exposed to the preaching of the word on a regular basis. And there's all sorts of negative consequences, I think, uh, of having, you know, a separate thing during the service where you're not a part of it. But, you know, those are, that's my two cents. So I don't, I don't want to drone on, on forever about this, but I, I think Spurgeon's example to me, at least it's pretty clear. Here's some things I can do. Uh, be concerned about my own local context more than I'm concerned about the broader context. Um, not that you, you don't want to speak to that. I mean, Spurgeon, you know, the mention of slavery, he didn't have slavery over where he was at. He was over in America, but he had no problem talking to that. But he was primarily focused on the own ministries and his own local context. Um, and number two, I guess, is making time and a priority for serving those who are in need. Um, just because our primary uh, ministry is, you know, spiritual in nature doesn't mean that doesn't transcend to also our own physical needs and our own physical context. So caring about those as well is important. So thinking through how do I as a church do this? And I guess for me, one of those things is uh, fix your polity and make your deacons actually do those types of things. And that would probably transform 75% of churches uh, mercy ministry instantly if you had a biblical polity based around that. Um, yeah. So I think the episode was really helpful. Uh, it got my wheels turning at least. I don't know if any of you want to give a closing thought before we wrap up. Uh, I'll give you guys the opportunity. Brandon says no. Um, Connor, Jake, do you want to say anything? Connor's out. Jake, you got something to say? I always have something to say. <laughs> um, but what, 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 the last thought that I'll say about all that is, the Spurgeon in slavery and his sermons being burnt books being burned in the South. All those Baptists that did Baptists that did that in the South were all Calvinists pretty much. So they had the same theology as Spurgeon, but it was what happened. Spurgeon went after their cultural idol. And I think that it's a wise word for all of us is that we need by the grace of God to see what cultural idols can be in our hearts that become dear to us in biblical truth and um, it can happen to any of us so I thought that was a, a good reminder for us yeah that's good so I guess you know for those who've been listening ho- hopefully this was helpful in some way and uh, you can benefit from this and take it to your own local church and I mean maybe one day we talk more specifically about certain things but I, I think for now at least for me the issue's more complicated than a lot of us make it it's not like that simple and then number two we should definitely focus on our own local context more and be concerned and interested in serving our people and loving our neighbors so that's that hopefully this is helpful guys and for those who've been listening uh, it's this is the only analytic baptist and confessional podcast on the planet and we thank you for tuning in Did you know that most vitamin D3 supplements come from sheep's wool? I'm Kat, founder of Ritual. We're making traceability the new standard for the supplement industry. When I was pregnant, I couldn't find a multivitamin I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested, and clean label project certified. 
Oh, and our vitamin D3? It comes from sustainably harvested lichen from England, not sheep. Trace for yourself with 25% off at ritual.com slash podcast. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson natural boneless chicken breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.